I sometimes I feel like I go from in in their eyes I go from being the best mum in the whole world to the worst and sometimes it's only seconds apart but you know I, I guess we have to take a lot of these things with a grain of salt when we're when we're highly activated and cranky that we will say things that we don't really mean. Hello you're listening to Truthbook with me Catherine Smith a mum and clinical psychologist I am on a mission to get us more connected, sharing real stories about family life. You will let out a sigh of relief knowing it's not just you, be empowered by other people's words and share a giggle at the funnier side of family life. On this episode, we have a clinical psychologist interviewing a clinical psychologist, both of whom are a little bit daunted by this prospect hoping that our mutual feeling of imposter syndrome is somewhat reassuring. Louise brings her infectious passion and wisdom to talking about step-parenting, the grief when a family is separated, the difficult emotions that come with facing climate change and how we can help our kids take action and not become overly anxious. And we ponder what it would be like to swap roles and be a man for the day until we both got lost and neither of us wanted to ask for directions. So I am delighted to welcome Louise Shepherd to Truthbook, an experienced clinical psychologist and director of the Sydney Acceptance and Commitment Therapy Centre. It's shortened to ACT and there's more information on that in the show notes. She's also a mum and stepmom to three girls, 16, 9 and 7. And it's her girls that have driven her passion for improving support and knowledge in step families and an active interest in climate action, acutely aware of the world that we're growing up in. When I was put in touch with Louise through a psychologist in Brisbane, she was keen to come on Truthbook to share her experience in the hope that it will resonate with others and help. And it has been a pleasure getting to know Louise as we've prepared for this podcast. So welcome to Truthbook, Louise. Thank you so much, Catherine. It's wonderful to be here. And I think it would be fair to acknowledge, acknowledge we've just had a bit of chat that we're both a little bit nervous because... <laughs> Indeed. As a psychologist interviewing a psychologist and yeah, the other way around. So that's that's good to, to acknowledge that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm also really mindful that things that make me scared are usually the best things that I do. So having a little bit of anxiety feels fine. Beautifully said. Yes, very normal. Well, I'd I'd like to start asking you if there's a photo that captures that family moment, but has a behind the scenes that the people you shared that photo with might not have seen. Yeah, look, there's a there's a photo that I've sent to you that I, I get emotional every time I look at it, and it's of um, my family. It's of my husband and our three girls my stepdaughter and and the two girls that my husband and I have together. And this was taken basically the last day before my stepdaughter was going to be moving to New Zealand for good. So we had this trip to the beach and it's just them at the beach. It's just their backs walking in to do some boogie boarding. And it's just a really very emotional because behind that, I guess there's there was you know, maybe eight years, I think, up to that point, maybe longer, that we had been really moving towards that point in time when we agreed for her to relocate to New Zealand with her mum. In, in the background of that, I guess there's a lot of stuff that's, that was very hard over a number of years. 
I will obviously speak about my own experience because I can't really say what that was like for the other players in this. Anyone who's been through family court and been through kind of messy separations and and custody and, and particularly relocations to another country will probably know what I'm talking about. But there was a lot of feelings, I guess, behind that day and leading up to that day, you know, frustration and helplessness and On that particular day, just a lot of sadness, actually. It felt our family went through quite a grieving process in the months following her her departure. And then, of course, COVID hit. So she left two years or just over two years ago. And then, obviously, a year ago, we went into COVID land. And so we haven't seen her in more than a year, which is pretty painful for for all of us. So I'm imagining that when you raised the camera to take that photo it was to capture a happy moment and hopefully with some hope that you would see her soon and that this was the right thing but that looking on that photo now it has been a long time since you've seen them and you mentioned the grief as well obviously that not because someone had died but because you were your family was shifting Totally. So I was a stepmom to Freya from the age when she was four. So I've known her for uh, much of her life. She recently turned 16. And so to see this, this beautiful child grow up and to spend quite a lot of time in our home. So we had uh, five nights of fortnight, which uh, anyone who's in a step family will be familiar with these sorts of time frames. So really, she was very much part of our family. And when she was six, our first daughter, Holly, was born. And then two years later, Neve was born. And during that time, a lot happened. We went through uh, family court. We got married. I got pregnant. I was actually six months, maybe a bit more, six months pregnant when we went through court. We had a, a meeting at the family court, actually, five days, I think it was, before our wedding. And looking back and particularly looking at that photo what did what did get you through as you said a particularly challenging time with the court case with pregnancies at times not knowing a lot of uncertainty as to what the outcome was what did help you get through gosh it's such a good question and and if I could go back I'd probably have some advice for my slightly younger self (laughs) some some days in fact some weeks were just really tough really lonely and whilst I think family and friends you know they tried to support and to understand what that uncertainty and and what it felt like I don't think many people really understand as as we often don't understand what other people's lives are like I'm I'm very fortunate, I guess, because of my training and because of my particular interest in in ACT or acceptance and commitment therapy, I I got to practice many of the things that I preach to others. And and I think that really did hold me in good stead in, in, in many situations. I think also just having a couple of friends, close friends who who did get it and who were very supportive and that would there were there if I needed to speak. Being a stepmom is a funny, a funny thing. I'm sure being a stepdad is as well. And when you're in the sort of involved in a, in a, in a conflict situation and negotiations and so forth, it can be hard to know kind of what your role is. And so I think whilst other people perhaps in the mix, you know, my husband and his ex perhaps had more agency and uh, more control over the situation, you can feel like you don't actually have a lot of say in things, which can be pretty complex, particularly when you're also then trying to to raise young children and deal with all the, the messiness and the emotion that that brings. 
And I guess you're also battling with that stereotype of the evil stepmom, which which is <laughs> totally. probably quite an unhelpful stereotype to have. But I wonder if that did have a role or, or what you think about that, because it's it's quite ingrained, I think. In- it's so ingrained. And there are so many movies that really paint that picture. And it's it's deeply unhelpful. I, I understand where it comes from. I think being a, a step-parent is actually a particularly... It is a tricky scenario. And and don't get me wrong, I, I absolutely love my stepdaughter. And, and I think I always have. It wasn't such a hard thing to love her. It was the circumstances that I found myself in very early on in my relationship with my husband, Rod, that was messy and, and complicated. But yeah, that the stepmom thing is really unhelpful. And you often feel like it. You feel like you're the evil stepmom. And that doesn't doesn't help anything. And I imagine that that's wrapped up in what you were saying earlier, that you don't necessarily have that agency or that, then your role is different than it's, it's harder. And you were saying, well, sadly, you haven't physically seen Freya because of COVID. But how have you managed to keep up that relationship while she's been away? So, look, we rely on FaceTime, really, has been we do twice a week. We, we speak with her and the whole family gets involved and her dog and cat often have a cameo appearance. One of the, one of the potentially positive things I've noticed is that as the time that we have spent, uh, the time since we've seen each other in person has got longer and longer, I've noticed that our connections on FaceTime feel more meaningful and I think you know, we just all really miss each other. We miss, we miss Freya and I think she really misses the rest of us. But, you know, we're, we're making this situation work as best we can for our family. Actually, I think picking up there that a lot of people will resonate with that, that there's a lot of people that are families are um, not able to connect to each other. So yeah, FaceTime and Zoom and all these things are becoming more meaningful as we're getting more used to using them. It's almost becoming the new normal. So that's, yeah, that's great that you can stay connected. You were talking earlier about ad- advice you would give to yourself. And I think, yes, having the, the act and therapy is helpful. But to, to other step families where, particularly in that role as a mum, what would you like to have heard yourself? What would you like to have been told at that time? Gosh, it's it's so it's so interesting. I've read a lot since. Actually, ironically, I ended up reading a lot because I kept getting clients who were in tricky sort of high conflict situations and and as a way of being able to support my clients, I found that I really needed to do a lot of research and understand, you know, the best ways to advise them, which ironically was like, "Oh, this advice is really good. You know, I would have loved this a few years ago." Look, I think there's a lot of things. Some of it would just be not to take it too personally and I guess to kind of control what I can control. And and I think maybe some of it would be about being able to, you know, just to love, just to love her and just to focus on being the kind of person, I guess, quite values-based, being the kind of person that I want to be and and not letting some of those sort of day-to-day things take up too much of my headspace because, they, they can at times take up a lot of energy and a lot of these things, you know, they, they blow over or, you know, they're, they're, I, can't, I couldn't control them. So I think a lot of things it would be just being able to recognise what you can and can't control. Also, I guess, being kind to yourself and being able to recognise that parenting and, and step-parenting by that as well, 
these are such tricky and challenging and, and wonderful and you know incredible honors really so I guess it would be just recognizing the whole picture and being grateful for all of that and and I guess also that the long game and I, I did at times try to really focus on that that there might be short-term things that were tricky but the long term what I wanted to focus on in that relationship over time I think is pretty important and has mattered a lot to me. And I think also some advice that I would give myself, which actually was the advice I gave my husband all those years ago, which was very much about one day you're going to have a, I think I actually said a (laughs) 16-year-old, one day you're going to have a 16-year-old girl who's going to want to sit you down and she will have questions for you and she will want to know you know, what your part in all of this was and how this happened and, and, and so on. She might have her own questions about that court process and what happened between her mum and dad when she was so little. And I just said to him, you need to be able to sit down and look her in the eye and feel proud of what you can tell her. And I think that was something that we both held on to as much as we could during a difficult time. That, that's a, a powerful tool, isn't it, to, to say to yourself when they're older what do I want them to say to me about how I brought them up about how I was with them that that can be a very good way of aligning ourselves but I think sometimes quite difficult to to, to ask as totally well. as, as I'm saying yeah. that I'm like let me let me be clear that there's lots of moments as a mom and a stepmom that I'm not proud of there's plenty so you know I wouldn't want to make it sound like just because that was my goal and that was what mattered to me that that means that I've been able to achieve that all the times I haven't I'm pretty good at apologizing I think that that has helped along the way and has helped to repair things when when I've you know made stupid mistakes I've said stupid things or I've let my emotion get the better of me in certain situations being able to apologize has has been really helpful I think many times and I hope that my kids uh, will remember that one day that yeah mum did all sorts of things that they didn't like or Lulu did all these things but she she apologized and she made things okay between us. Well, it's, yeah, it's so important, isn't, isn't it, to make amends? I don't. You, you might have a better example, but I know we we had some communication earlier, and you said you'd had a, a difficult morning with your your kids just now. Oh wow! You know, this morning, yeah, it was it was just just probably nothing particularly extraordinary about this morning. It was just kind of, I think probably whenever there's something extra, like uh, my husband was going out to get the car serviced, and so there was a bit more pressure on the morning perhaps than there normally is. And I've been sick, as you can probably hear, I've got a bit of a cold. And so I feel like I'm a bit behind with everything. But then, you know, when when kids aren't responding well to that and then parents then get a bit locked in and, oh, geez, just pretty exhausting. And eventually, to be honest, I, I ended up just uh, feeling a little bit frustrated and thinking, how do we get ourselves all out of this? You know, our flight or flight responses are just all a bit activated and this is not going well. And so I just said, should we put some music on? <laughs> and it just seemed to work. I, I know that when I'm, when I'm cranky, when I'm feeling frustrated, my creativity just goes straight out the window. Oh, I just forget it? to be at all creative. And just somewhere out of, out of the blue, I just thought, oh, we'll put some music on. And it was probably just enough that after 10 or 15 minutes of things being a bit chaotic and dysregulated in the house, we were able to turn things around. 
what uh, music did you go for? It wasn't, it well, wasn't a, a heavy metal. It's a, it's, a, it's a song called Teenage Crime, I think. I think it's oh, Swedish right. House Mafia, I think is the name. I don't know. It's one of my husband's old favourites that the, the girls obviously have just recently heard in the car. He tends to play stuff in the car for them that we come home and I'm like, what did you play? Like, what was that? But I think that might have been uh, where it came from. Oh, but it, it just, as I said, it, it can reset that environment and your 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 creativity's gone and coming back to having that time afterwards to reflect how do I want to manage these situations and yeah maybe they'll look back and say yeah do you remember when we all got cranky mum used to put music on <laughs> that's, I hope that's, so that's... I sometimes I feel like I go from in in their eyes I go from being the best mum in the whole world to the worst and sometimes it's only seconds apart but you know I, I guess we have to take a lot of these things with a grain of salt when we're when we're highly activated and cranky that we will say things that we don't really mean if you could have an image, whether it's a cartoon or just uh, some sort of picture, what would you look like in those moments when, well, you said your fight or flight's activated and you're, you've lost all sense of creativity? What do you think you would look like? I, when I thought of this, I thought of a yeah. really, me I'm not a particularly visual person, but the, mm. the image I thought of was terrible. It's, oh. the, uh, it's the principal in Matilda, in the movie Matilda. And I was like, oh, do I really? I think that's probably a little harsh, actually. But it would probably be some kind of school mom, kind of very cranky, very strict, no sense of humour. Yeah, something like that would be probably the, the image that calls to mind. <laughs> No, I think, yeah, Mrs. Trunchbull, would you be picking them up by the pigtails and spinning them round? <laughs> I have never done that, I have to say, but which is why I'm like, maybe that's a bit too harsh. But it's certainly just this really kind of fiery, cranky, just not, not keeping it together very well. Yeah, you become cranky, you lose that sense of humour, and it's the one thing you could probably do with right in that situation. You see people who do manage or... Yeah, to, to, a bit of fun just to remind ourselves. But yeah, Mrs. Trunchbull's a, a good, that's a good image. <laughs> and well, we've been saying that within the same sentence, you can sort of turn things around. But when would you say you're feeling that you're at your best as a parent? So actually, the, the incident this morning was kind of it was just great timing <laughs> but there was a moment when everything had settled and we were really just moving on to getting you know lunches were packed and we were almost leaving for school and uh, the daughter that I'd had the more of a difficulty with she came in and I just said to her which I tell them often I said you know that there's nothing that you can ever say or do that would mean that I would ever stop loving you mm -hmm. and I, I said to her which I don't think I've said to her before I said if I could line up billions of children in front of me I would choose you and your sisters every single time and she walked off a little bit emotional I think it was almost too much too much love I think in that moment I'm guessing she was probably still feeling a little bit guilty from from not being at her best but you know just that real sense of and I had apologized as well that I didn't handle things well when she got upset and that I was really sorry about that so I think that's me at my best is when I'm able to take accountability for my bad behaviour and just to remind them of just how loved they are. Oh, that's, yes, yeah, so that's beautiful. And I'm wondering what you feel you look like in that moment. What would be your image? 
It's funny. I, I was thinking about it earlier. I think there's something about, I, I, I joke because it's one of my favourite stories from my own um, upbringing, but it was like Mary Poppins, maybe on a bad day, <laughs> probably not on a good day, but maybe on a bad day. But actually when, when I think about it, it's like I think what I look like in that moment is just pure love and safety and just security, just that they know that they, there is nowhere safer in the world than we've been doing air hugs because I've got a cold. So it's not literally oh. in my arms just at the moment. My youngest said to me yesterday, she's like, oh, mommy, I feel sad that you're sick. And I think she's such a, uh, a touchy child that I think not being able to hug close has been hard. But we have been doing air hugs until I'm feeling a bit less germy. Well, I think with with COVID very much around, obviously that's that's not the case for you, but it's uh, it's something that I think a lot of people will be be getting used to at the moment. FaceTime and air hugs. I know, having we've spoken before quite a bit about your passion and also concern about the world that you're bringing your kids up in. I was wondering when that can be difficult to take action when you're trying to spend that time with your girls as well. Oh gosh, it's it's an endless juggle, I guess I'd, I'd say, Catherine, trying to work out, you know, my fears for my children in the future and their children in the future that if if there isn't greater action, you know, around the world, and particularly in Australia, we have pretty poor action, at least at a government level at this stage, at the federal level. I guess it's I'm really focused on their future and I'm also mindful that when I'm off caring about their future, sometimes that steals from their present. So a, a perfect example of this was uh, maybe two weeks ago I headed into the city to go to a, a protest, a rally for climate action. And as I was doing that, I was mindful that, you know, it's kind of an hour into the city, an hour back, I'd probably be there for one to two hours. So that was like four hours on a Saturday that I was giving up to go and fight for my children's future. And I said to our nine-year-old, I just said, you know, sweet, I'm, I'm really sorry that, that I'm not going to be here for the afternoon. Like, I really want to be spending time with you. And at the same time, we love our planet and we want to make sure that we have a safe and, and a really great place for us to all live. So this is something that mommy thinks is really important. But that feels hard. I actually, with her, well, before COVID, I, I guess it's more than a year ago now, around December, she expressed some interest in coming to a protest with me. And, and I was a bit nervous about it, to be honest. I, I, you know, sometimes there can be a bit of swearing and things, or there could be, you know, sometimes it's a very hopeful experience and sometimes it can be, you know, more sort of anger and frustration comes out. And so I showed her a couple of videos and I just said, look, this is what it's like and this is what people will be doing and there'll be other families. I'm, I'm very lucky to be involved with a group called Australian Parents for Climate Action as one of the Sydney organisers. And so I knew that I would be meeting up with a number of families. But I think now she gets it a bit better. We don't talk about the really scary impacts of climate change. I'm like, I believe my children are too young to speak about that. But we do talk about building a, a brighter future and about taking care of our planet. And, and the kids are really, they've been involved in that for a couple of years. So they'll do things like they 
held a cake stall in our front yard uh, to sell cakes and, and other treats to raise money for Greenpeace to save the oceans and things like that. And then we did another big cake store where they where they were involved with two other families. So we try to do things as a family that are really positive so that they see that mum and dad being interested in climate action is something that is about that we can come together as a family, but that it's it's not a negative thing. It's not a fearful thing in our family. We try to focus on this being a positive. I'm really interested to, to hear how you balance that because when you do watch the programs of David Attenborough, et cetera, it, it is really scary. And how you take action without giving our kids this huge amount of anxiety, because we, we know in mental health, it's become, it's a term now, eco-anxiety. It's such a tricky balance. And so I, I don't want my kids to be scared. I don't want them, as they get older, they will understand more and more the, the complexity of the situation that we find ourselves in. And they will no doubt go through their own grief and fear and all sorts of really hard emotions that come with facing the climate emergency that we're in. At, at this point in time, at their young ages, for our seven and nine-year-old, I feel like talking about it in a positive way that we feel like these are important things to do and giving them a sense of agency. So both of, of the younger two actually helped with, helped by Freya when she was last visiting. We wrote to the Prime Minister and so they that was something that they felt they could do that asked him for greater action around our climate. So in a way they have some kind of sense that there are things that they can do that they're interested in. They want to raise money. They, they want to set up their own foundations. Our younger sometimes says to me, Mum, which is the one that we want? Do we want climate change or do we want climate action? <laughs> and so we have these really funny kind of conversations about it. They learn a bit at school as well. And, look, if they come to me and they share their anxiety or they ask hard questions, then that's going to be harder. And, and I guess I will find a way to, to support them with some of the concerns they have. And look, these are very personal choices, I think, for parents to make. For me personally, I feel like they've got enough to worry about, you know, really just to do with friends and about just kid stuff. And so my husband and I feel like this is our responsibility and we don't really want to um, share too much information that might be upsetting. I know that as a you know fully grown adult with you know expertise in act skills, I've had some really sleepless nights contemplating uh, the future of our planet. Because it can also be very easy to go the other way, and when you do think about what's happening, is to to avoid it. And I know I hands up sometimes you, you have this big discrepancy between the things that you aspire to doing, like recycling properly and making as much of your own food as possible or even growing it, not eating as much meat. But then in reality, busy lives, it, convenience, it, you, you, you slip. And to, to really care is hard work. Certainly we'll all be aware on things like social media and just talking to people that there's some families that seem to really do that very well and and a bit of you, oh, that's great. And then you're also like, oh, I just don't, <laughs> don't know how they do it. Another um, thing to feel guilty about. And right? I just feel guilty. And then, you know, I think yeah. as I wrap my children's 
pat lunches up in file because everything else is they come back and complain that it's stale but you know yeah. it, is, it is those little things that I, I'm fully aware make a difference. My take on all this is that none of us are perfect and none of us are going to be perfect and that we live in a fairly I mean it's hard when we have a, a country that is really run by fuel run by coal still that it's really hard to to be perfect and it's hard not to be a hypocrite you know there are lots of things we can do. I think one of the tricky things is that it's easy to think that individual changes, such as having a worm farm or having, you know, wrapping our lunches in different things, these are all wonderful things. And at the same time, really broader sort of system change, being able to put pressure on our MPs, being able to kind of think about how we vote, think about where we invest our money. These are kind of the things that we're probably best to get a balance with. So I've, I'm learning this the hard way. I mean, there's lots of things that we're doing in our family that I guess preparing both saving in the in the current time, but also preparing for a, a difficult future, like, you know, building resilience. So I want my children to understand about water and that water is something that we don't want to take for granted. So we have buckets in the shower and we flush the toilet with buckets and simple things like that. We have a worm farm for our scraps and so on. But there are plenty of things that we don't do. But I've learned that if I'm doing all of those things at home, then I'm not writing to my MP. I'm not going to a protest. I'm not doing things like moving my um, superannuation away from fossil fuels and the like. And actually, these are the more important changes as individuals that we can make, I believe. So I think you can feel a little bit less guilty about some of the day-to-day -day kind of recycling and so on and think and actually Project um, Drawdown has some wonderful examples and there are other sites that have great examples. Certainly things like reducing food waste and eating a lot less meat or going plant-based if, if people are willing to do that. These are the kinds of things that we can do as individuals that will make a big difference. That's good advice to to look at the bigger picture because yeah all these small things do help but actually getting in touch with with the people who can make some of the bigger changes you know this is the year that things really need to shift and turn around and then COVID hit and so many of my kind of climate activist mates were like oh geez what does that mean for climate change because people were finding it hard to think about more than what was happening that day let alone you know what might be happening years down the track and my hope I guess is that People start to recognise that, you know, a pandemic like COVID is really, really bad, but the climate emergency is much, much worse. And, and it's really, it is very hard to face up to that. And there's a lot of messy emotions to face in doing that. And so it's not something to do kind of quickly or lightly. And it makes sense to me that people would rather not think about it and rather not talk about it. It's, it's a little bit like as an individual, say, when you know something's not right in your body and you suspect something's wrong, but you don't go to the doctor. I mean, if you've got cancer in your body, not thinking about it, not talking about it, not going to the doctor isn't going to make it go away. I'm sorry, you, you can tell, you can probably hear the passion in my voice. Uh, oh, absolutely. And that's that's a, a very good example, actually, Yeah, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't, ignore, you wouldn't ignore your own difficulties or, or health. And if you do... You, we know what the consequences can be. Yeah, it can and, be costly if, if yeah. people leave it too long. You also mentioned it is full of difficult 
emotions and drawing back to what we were talking about at the very beginning and the difficult emotions that, that you went through in that challenging time as a step parent and with the court case and then all, all these things. I'm wondering what do you see have been maybe some of the benefits of experiencing and accepting some of these difficult emotions? You know, it's hard to know. I guess there's, I mean, I don't regret at all any of the choices. You know, I would choose my husband again, even though it was, you know, led to some pretty tricky times for us as a couple and as a, as a family. I would choose to be a stepmom again. You know, I adore, I adore my stepdaughter and I feel really blessed to have her in my life. I, I feel like, you know, a couple of years ago when I became much more aware, I mean, it's funny, like I, I always knew, I think, but when I became much more aware of the seriousness of climate change, I wouldn't take that away either. I think mm. now I'm making more conscious choices. I'm very much thinking about the kind of person I want to be and, and how I want to spend my time on this planet. And that's deeply important to me. As I, I, I this will sound really crazy as an added bonus. Oh my gosh. No, as a, as a really confronting thing as well. My, my father died six months ago and he died quite suddenly. He, he was unwell, but it was a, a very sudden death. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways, all of this stuff, I feel kind of like it brings meaning and purpose. And I guess having the death of a parent really brings that stuff to the forefront. I, I don't mm. want to live my life with regrets. I don't want to get to, you know, 75 or 80 and think I wish I'd done this or I wish I'd done that. It doesn't mean it's not hard. I think choosing to be aware and choosing to care a lot about things can be quite, it can be lonely sometimes, it can be emotional, it can be exhausting sometimes but it's very real and it feels meaningful. And when it comes to my turn to die, I kind of want to know that I lived well. Mm. And uh, I'm, I'm always drawn to, you, you may well be aware of the, the top five regrets of the dying, some research done by a palliative care nurse many years ago. And when you look through those, you know, I, I really do want to make sure that I make time for living the life that I wanted to live and not the life that others thought I should live. Wow, that's a very important thing to aspire to in in life, and I think uh, you're touching on so many things that we don't we don't want to really think about. And even then, just thinking about your own, your own time and when that comes to yeah to make sure that you've lived that the most. And I think even at the very beginning, when we both acknowledged our anxiety about doing this, we we also said that most things that are worth doing are are hard work or challenging. And what do you think, and it would be helpful for us to talk more about as families, I guess we've got the two subjects here of this, as step parents and as climate change. What do you think we, we maybe avoid talking about or need to talk more about? Well, I guess um, I, was thinking, <laughs> I was thinking actually that, well, I think we need to talk about the fact that all families are unique and all families mm. have their quirks and whatever so you know I think there's a lot of I don't think it's often deliberate but there's a lot of judgment that goes on I think of of other parents and I think Mm. just understanding that everyone's circumstances are different and we can't possibly understand what that other person's you know whether it be that one person's child is perfectly beautifully behaved all the time and so they can't really understand there being conflict or whatever but you know we see this kind of 
that every situation is different. And certainly my family situation with having our elders living in another country is kind of different. And so I get that. So I think it would be great for us to talk more about that. I think it would be great as families, particularly with older kids, to talk more about climate change and about the world around us. So, and for older, for kids of older families to watch things like 2040, or there was a great um, on ABC on iView, I think it still is, the Fight for Planet A, you know, watching these kinds of shows and that have a lot of solutions and a lot of sort of positive, you know, opportunities to look at as families and also out in the community. I guess because it's just the week that it is in in Australia and and certainly in the UK and other places, there's a lot of talk about this. I also think we we, we need to talk about the the differences, the gender differences between men and women and how they might play out. I won't open up a whole other can of worms. Yes, I know you're right. That does that does open up a can of worms. But it, <laughs> it, it but it's also actually this is fascinating. You know, as I as I do more of these podcasts, both of those themes are starting to run through. One mum that was really surprised at birthday parties that you you were still given a blue bag for boys and a pink pink bag to girls and sort of shocked that, that we hadn't moved on. I sometimes feel like, you know, who would invite me to a barbecue or a dinner party these days <laughs> because I'm just full of all these kind of serious topics. I can have a laugh as well sometimes. But, you know, I think these conversations can actually be held in a way that is positive and invigorating and actually very hopeful. Uh, and I think they're the kinds of conversations I think that families could be having more of you know, where it's not doom and gloom. Of course, at, at a certain age, there may be, that might be part of the conversation. But we know that for eco-anxiety, for instance, one of the greatest antidotes towards that, to that is, is action. It's taking values-based action. And so that's a really positive thing, whether it be a cake store, whether it be, you know, donating your pocket money uh, towards an organisation, or whether it be you know, getting out and going on the streets and protesting for something that you really care about. I think these are all really positive things that children um, and and adults can get involved with. Yeah, and and I will include some of the websites that you've mentioned and maybe more in, in the show notes so people can go and have a look if they if they want to, to have some more information on that. Beautiful. And well, Louise, as we begin to draw to an end, have you got for us a truth book confession for this week? <laughs> My confessions tend to be a bit all or nothing. I was trying to think of something that's kind of light and silly and fun. And there was a silly thought, I, I, I guess, which I don't know if that's a confession, but it is a wish. Mm. I, I wish that the men of the world and probably actually, you know, boys and, and, and teenagers and, and men could just flip a little bit like one of those movies. I think there was a Mel Gibson movie years and years ago, but just flip into becoming female for a week and then they could magically flip back. I'm okay with that. But just to, I think, and you know what, it would probably help for the other way around as well. I think one of the things that is really tricky is just this idea of being able to empathise with what we don't know. That would be fantastic, except we we might want to flip back very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) we may well <laughs> it might give yeah. us a greater mm. appreciation and understanding though right yeah and I, I don't yeah. think we get I don't think we get true change behavior change social change social justice and so on without truly understanding and empathizing with the other in inverted commas very well said and I think um, just trying to increase compassion and empathy 
instead of people you know judging and being envious of each other's lives which is something that social media can do a huge amount of it yeah it whether it be men or women or you know women other women being judging if we can try and put our put our feet in other people's shoes and pop um, them in really really high heels i think just to yeah. add to it yeah. I, we pop them <laughs> not, high that, heels not that i wear <laughs> and have a quick word to the kids and say right kids just be really messy leave your toys everywhere <laughs> spill your food on the yeah <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll be interested to see what the comments back from this would be what what the men would do uh, break break everything in the house and <laughs> yeah lots of diy projects but but no i think yes it, it it's one of those things in reality we can't but we could certainly aspire to trying to put our, put ourselves in in each other's shoes well thank you very much uh, louise for for coming on I've, I've found it very helpful and opening to to hear a bit more about living in, in step families and also climate change to hear a bit about how we, we balance it and the actions that we can take so thanks very much for coming on truthbook oh thank you for having me catherine it's just been uh, it's been lovely chatting with you thanks for listening. It was a pleasure chatting to Louise with her passion and wisdom. I got so much from it. Having moved our family twice in the last 18 months, which has not been without its challenges, I have been asking myself, what do I want my kids to say about how I managed? It's really helped guide how I want to be. And I know I have found myself being Mrs. Trunchbull one minute, shouting orders, dressed, teeth, socks, and Mary Poppins the next, singing a bedtime song. And I felt empowered rather than anxious, hearing Louise talk about the actions we could take towards climate change and how we can involve our kids. We're off to buy a worm farm at the weekend. And whilst we may not actually be able to be another person for the day, we can aspire to putting ourselves in their shoes just for a moment to understand their perspective. And that is as true between men and women as it is between kids and adults. Remember to check out the show notes with all the helpful links that Louise mentioned. And help me get this episode out there. Leave a review, share it with a friend, and if you haven't already, hit subscribe. Or even better, come on Truthbook. Your story of how you've navigated family life will inspire and become part of someone else's family survival guide.